0: Man, welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 446. Jason Lindgren is with me and Beth Martins. In a moment, I'm going to have Beth give her information where you can find her. We started to plan an episode that was around PMAs, but we've shifted. And I'll be frank. The Legal shows, some of them have been so good, but we get messages from both sides of people who did it correctly and had a good outcome, and a lot of people who mess around where they're not confident to mess around, and it's it's a bit taxing. And so one of the last episodes we just did was meant to cover that, but a lot of people didn't enjoy the episode, which I don't get very often. So anyhow, what we're going to do here today... With Beth is we're going to talk about disease, um, maybe from the the standpoint that most people are familiar with, came from Steiner, Rudolf Steiner. There are others who have said the same thing. Basically, what has been put forward by these spiritual corners of our world is that disease has a spiritual cause that has already happened. And you might start to think about a placebo. How does a placebo work um, if you think in this way? And also, we're going to talk about corporation. As so many people know, corporations have been violating rights, or basically, let me rephrase that, getting you to violate your own rights. And so many people are caught between a rock and a hard place, need to pay my rent, need to support my family, but I am not down with doing this, that, or the other thing they're trying to force me. Beth has been integral in helping people leave their jobs and become self-employed, or maybe entrepreneurs is a better way to say that. Anyhow, welcome, Jason.
1: And a hot good morning.
0: All right. Welcome, Beth. Before we jump into anything, why don't you tell folks where they can find you? If you give out an email address in hour one, you might get a lot of email.
1: All right. Well, I'm super happy to be here. And uh, the best way to contact me is through my website, freewillministry.live. It's also bethmartins.com with the ens.com. You can do an archetype quiz to find out where you are on the path of purpose on the hero's journey. So you see what's ahead of you, what's behind you to clean up. And uh, you can also get a copy of my book. It's called Journey, A Map of Archetypes to Find Lost Purpose in a Sea of Meaninglessness. And uh, if you have a chance also, and you want to get to know me to uh, to see whether you want to become a member of the House of Free Will, which is by application only, by the way, then uh, feel free to have a listen to the King Heroes Journey podcast, of which there are 218 episodes over the last two and a half years.
0: All right. There it is. And we will also include an affiliate link up in all the images to link over to Beth's book. It'll be probably near the bottom row of images, should be self-evident. And if there's any consumer or code of any kind, it will be in the text under the image. There it is. Part of the reading list that I have put forward has at least a book or two from Steiner. But what we find is that these clairvoyance as they call themselves, or people who still have spiritual vision, as it's also been said, uh, they have a common cause in saying that when we get sick, it's from a spiritual cause that's already occurred. So why don't we jump in right there?
1: Yeah, so I'll uh, share a little bit about my story, where things have come from in the last 20 years. So I was working in the corporate world, you mentioned corporations with my family's firm, and uh, I was born and raised in their, basically, in their business. They were entrepreneurs because my dad couldn't work for other people without having a nervous breakdown. And uh, I enjoyed working with my family's business. And there I was at the age of 29. While I liked the work, and I and I'm kind of a business geek because of my upbringing, I invented a stage four lymphoma to get out of it. I was completely out of alignment with my own values, with my own you know, spiritual blueprint, what my purpose is. And so it was a knock down three-year fight for my life. I was uh, told I was going to die after a second diagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma, which people do not uh, survive. I was offered a stem cell transplant, which only half the people survive. And so it was at that point when I really met myself. And, uh, had, you know, I'd been doing everything that I knew how to do natural. I uh, had to resort to a whole bunch of medical treatments as well because the natural stuff wasn't working like I expected or wanted it to. And uh, and when it came to that moment of truth that I thought I was facing my death, I was able to discover the work of uh, archetypes that was not new to me. I had studied about it in university but more in an academic way where I was just thinking about archetypes, thinking about spiritual blueprints and purpose, thinking about, you know, the way that you can basically go to any culture in the world and find these exact patterns of thinking and behaving. So now I put it to the test. I dove in, and it was actually the year that Carolyn Miss published The Sacred Contracts which was a book about archetypes. I didn't even know, it, just knew it was important for me to have that book and, and start to work through it. And very quickly, I was able to identify what it was that was sucking the life out of me where it had been a mystery for three years. And it was practically overnight after discovering it, seeing it for what it was, releasing a, a lot of suppressed energy inside myself. I went from being a Dying person to being a living person practically overnight.
0: How did you make the realization?
1: I was highly motivated. <laughs> and the realization came from literally seeing what I did not see about myself. And it opened up a whole world to see that the unconscious things I had studied about again and had ideas about, you know, maybe Freudian, maybe Jungian, all of that kind of thing. But now when it was a practical, real situation for me, I was able to see, oh, there is something that I'm not aware of in any way, except that I can see all the bad circumstances in my life playing out. So I was not able to see what that was until that moment when I began to look day after day after day inside myself. In fact, it was such deep work. It would knock me out into a state that I would call yoga nidra. We don't have to talk about yoga. I went to India eight times. And uh, it's a kind of sleep where you're not all groggy and rubbing your eyes and drooling, but you're just out. It's so deep, you can't stay conscious. And after uh, many tries of working that way, suddenly the archetype energy began to rise from within me. I began to see myself in ways that I couldn't even believe I hadn't seen before. But there it was. In, in my case, really specifically a rebel without a cause that had been severely depressed and suppressed because it got me in so much trouble my whole life. I was a runaway. I, I landed in jail for a night as a, a teenager. I got this severe disapproval of all of my family. I was uh, you know not allowed to come home for a, a certain time, although that swapped around and my parents took me back luckily because I could have ended up on the streets forever.
0: What we'll do is I want to talk a little bit about archetypes because I think a lot of people kind of get what it's supposed to mean, but they don't really think about why it's important. And I've had trouble trying to describe how I try to look at an archetype. One of the ways I did it is you ever notice in the old um like the Roman or Greek artworks, there would be little winged victory sitting on the shoulder of someone who just won. Yes. And I I try to express it like this. So they want to. They said we wanted to win so we wanted to pray to win or we wanted to get our mindset to win we did win so now we want to give thanks to win so we invented this little angel looking thing with wings that we call victory or nike or veritas whatever whatever the situation but in the naming and creation of that archetype we now have a way to actually employ thought directed in this direction Not only before it happens, we can pray, we want this to happen. While it's happening, we want this outcome. And after it's happened, thank you, we've had this outcome. And it's all done by simply, it's almost like the old thing I keep saying, give it a name, Vinny. Once you give a thing a name, now it can be invoked. Would you describe an archetype more succinctly than I am able?
1: Uh, Yes, of course. So I'll, I'll give you my direct experience that I didn't read in a book, but I discovered for myself and then was able to verify not only in my own experience, but with all the people that I've worked with as well. So I see archetypes as a spiritual blueprint, and it points to the order that is inherent in God's creation. That shows up at every level in nature, and it shows up at every level inside your own experience. And instead of the chaos that we're led to believe exists, right, that our controllers are throwing spaghetti on the wall every single day, trying to traumatize us with some new situation, some new development, some you know new out-of-control thing we all need to be protected from, and it, it creates a state of chaos inside ourselves. But in reality, we've all been beautifully uh, uh, designed and very uniquely, like, you know, my son and I were picking carrots the other day and I just said, isn't it amazing how you're never going to be finding two carrots identical? Now, that's not about archetypes, but but just the fact that this uh, enormous amount of variety in in creation is there and yet it's not chaos. So if you look really closely, you can discover the order and the archetypes are a system for that. So you can again go to any culture in in the world. My my original subject was anthropology, studying cross cultural medicine, behavior, consciousness. So the archetypes are a way of transcending those barriers. That's what I was always searching for in university: what was universal among humanity that wasn't going to be locked in time or space or the particular, you know, uh, mores and and ways of being of, of a particular kind of people. And the archetypes, in fact, do transcend. So they create really out of the order, they create a map that can be followed. So you can know yourself. If you, if you discover even parts of an archetype that are literally scripted, then you can know that the whole archetype is there. If you discover something in the, in the unconscious about an archetype, you know that all of the conscious part of that archetype is there as well. I refer to them as gifts and and shadows or an awakened side of the archetype or a simply, you know, unconscious side of the archetype. So it's not evil. This is something I've studied a lot about. If you want to talk about the difference between the evil and evil and the unconscious then we can do that as well. But but the archetypes are a way to recognize patterns. For example, uh, I consider myself a pattern hunter. And if you can find the patterns, then you can get ahead of the curve. So not only are there specific archetypes that we're aware of, like you, you talked about Nike, that's absolutely uh, a clear, though although complex archetype. So what I've done with archetypes is to simplify them down and take the what is actually immeasurable complexity of human consciousness and the soul of our existence and and make it something that is approachable. Because not everybody has three years to lay down and study their inner workings. So by simplifying it and, and breaking it down, breaking it out, you create points of entry so the work can begin. Because if the work doesn't begin, you don't, you don't do the work. And, and then so we have archetypes that I found in the hero's journey and in the process very much now. Knowing the hero's journey is an archetype, I knew that intellectually, but I had not until my both, I lost both my parents 2015 and 2017, almost 2017. And through that, I was able to, in myself, see and sense the hero's journey as an archetype. And so this is the whole purpose of life. You guys have done amazing work on the hero's journey. That's when I first entered into your work and was able to, uh, to start understanding through your eyes and seeing that, that parallel. And so again, you can get ahead of the curve by seeing what comes next. And you can also very much be in the job of cleaning up. What did you leave behind on the path? What parts of yourself maybe that you didn't bring to the light, that you didn't give your full attention to, and there's many reasons why we don't give our full attention to things. It's because our own human consciousness has been weaponized against us in the form of programming. We are vulnerable to fears. We are vulnerable to insecurities. We, as infants and children, we have no chance of survival on our own we're always at the mercy of a caregiver and so we learn ways if we, if our upbringing is not fully nurturing and fully you know we we have a a culture that makes their babies cry it out and be alone in cribs and do very unnatural things that other cultures have uh, would think are unspeakable torture and and it is and it splits consciousness and it makes the child desperate to get the love and attention through the means that are driven by fear rather than learning if it could all come from love in, in that life giving way. But rather the child has to resort to, you know, demanding survival. And the pain of that is so intense that it must be relegated to the unconscious. So we all go through life, even unfortunately the most normal life has a lot of uh, trauma in it. And so we systematically put those pains and those traumas away in the unconscious. And and like my Rebel Without a Cause, when you put it away in the unconscious, it doesn't go away. <laughs> in fact, it's quite the opposite. It, it pushes up very strong in the form of, say, things you don't want to happen in your life, your own behaviors that you you constantly are saying like, oh my gosh, did I say that? Did I do that? How, how did that happen? How did this blow up in my face again? And so you, you have this mystery in your life of all these things that are wrong, but you don't see it simply because it's hidden. And then by working with archetypes, by tapping into the blueprint that's already there, so beautifully and many people have done the work to uncover the archetypes and show how they uh, operate and how they function in both sides, conscious and unconscious. And then you can get ahead of the curve and do a great deal of work inside yourself just simply by seeing. Now that's, that's how I saved my life from cancer, seeing enough of myself, reclaiming the life force I had used to suppress all of that. It came back into my system. It became free energy, which I call it. I know there's a, uh, there's different meanings for free energy, but it stopped being stuck and suppressed energy in a in a holding pattern, and it became free energy that could express through the archetype that I consider has no life of its own, right? It's the same with programming. Programs are not alive. They're not entities, although entities can interact with them very easily. And still those entities have no life of their own. So this is something that you can, you can start to own and take responsibility for not only your inner experience, but your outer experience. And then even bigger to be able to take responsibility for, you know, a whole community. Or, you know, I work with the king archetype. You guys have both been on my King Heroes Journey podcast and, you know, a whole kingdom. You can start to assume responsibility for things. Because the energy is much more available than it is in that normal way of suppressing. And maybe I should take a break there and let you guys jump in.
0: You said a lot of things there. um, And it was interesting to me to notice that the uniqueness idea is part of what helped you tune in. I still use that every day. When I go down to the beach, I pick up a few white crystal rocks that are there. And I marvel. Each one of these is absolutely unique in the world. And it seems a simple thing, but when you begin to recognize what that actually means, then you begin to realize your perception is unique in all the world. And even if whatever I am perceiving, I took someone else's face and lined up the eyes to the exact same angle that I was looking, it would still be unique in all the world because it's not my eyes. It's not my experiences behind the perception. And that uniqueness begins to uncover it. But would you agree with me that uh, if we consider The Greek myth or the Roman myth, as they they formed an archetype to lead us astray. These are gods. These silly people thought that there were men and women with beards and you know ancientness sitting on clouds up there. That's what they thought. What I did is I came along and I put a better archetype for me to think about it, and I said these are aspects of nature. But what's more is it's parts of nature that function, whether or not they have a name right? So that's part of what's going on, I think. Anyone who wants to see how the dark side used an archetype to become big, go look at the CNN episode we did, 171. It's called Truth Down the Well, Veritas. That is the archetype they used to launch their worldwide news. But at the base of everything you're saying, what I recognize the big change for myself was responsibility for self, right? I'd lived in a world where, oh, well, if I lose my job, I get unemployment. Someone will help me. Oh, if this, you know, and all of a sudden you come to realize there's a big difference between being your own human life responsible for itself and living in this way that has been laid out for us. And that too has to do with archetypes, doesn't it?
1: Oh, by the way, for anyone who doesn't think these archetypes are being used, just look at NASA's naming scheme. Yeah, there it is. Uh,
0: Yeah. Go back, look at Apollo. And of course, what are we doing now? Apollo's twin sister, Artemis. And for those who are moderately awake, you realize that it's all a lie. So what is it that's real about what they're doing? What's real is the archetype, right? And since there really is no rule, as far as I can tell, and I've seen it written by people like Steiner, uh, the, the light of Egypt from much earlier in the 1800s, you can go to the dark side all day long and you're not breaking a rule. Now, when you start hurting people, that's a different story. But the point I would make is they're not going to the moon. What's this thing they're naming? That's the archetype, isn't it, Beth?
1: Yeah, it's a kind of smoke and mirrors game, right? And because the archetypes are hardwired, if you think about your computer, it's not the software, it's the hardware, then they can come and park in your consciousness. They can hijack consciousness and we know from the work of edward bernays and the whole you know world of marketing that's huge in in the use of archetypes you can see it at every turn you got you know you're ta- already talking about nike and how that became the shoe and this you know kind of warrior company and and so when they approach us with archetypes, and it's something that we will naturally do, artists are always going to appeal to consciousness through archetypes, or at least a good one. Even if they don't know it, they're still always using archetypes. And so there can be uh, good reasons to appeal to that part of your consciousness, and then there can be very nefarious reasons to appeal to consciousness, and so, yeah, that they're absolutely uh, abusing people. They're very well aware of of these things, and and I start to experiment with it myself. Even had you know, sort of like I, I won't go deep into it, but I had a an awakening after my father's death about mermaids, and I didn't I didn't make this stuff up. Honestly, I, I, you can't make this stuff up. It would have been so ridiculous. But I just had you know, mermaid consciousness come into my world, and I broke it down into eight archetypes. After my mom died, I realized, oh, this is the hero's journey. That was just an interim step. But you can see how, by the short time that I used archetypes as a way to express out, to come out after grieving my father and, and, you know, having to kind of begin again in my life, and how people from all over the world were, were tuning in with that mermaid archetype, as, as uh, I know ridiculous as it must sound, but it showed me how. I had the same potential to, with good intentions, be able to, as if park in their consciousness and have there be a relationship. So to me, this is the foundation that all of human interaction comes down to this, this foundational thing of, of relationships, right? That we're going to talk about the private domain in my ministry. There is no ministry. There's no membership without the relationship between members compared to in the, the public world where it's all cold. And, um, you know, so, so we can't rely on those archetypes as a way to create the relationship, but it is the entry point again, when you see somebody has similar values that, you know, if we're maybe talking about the warrior a little bit now, if, if they also have that, I'm going to do whatever it takes kind of attitude and, and they value training and strength and they're going to stand up to the boogeyman rather than and look in deep and see, okay, is this, is this a threat? Is this worth my time to fight or am I going to back out? And so then you see, oh, this person is a warrior too, but you're not consciously thinking that you're, you're recognizing each other at the level of blueprints and may be likely to, to uh, relate and get along based on that, it also can be very much complementary archetypes. That you know, if the if the warrior meets the nurturer at the right time, when the warriors maybe all beat up from the battle, and the nurturer comes along, which just happens to be on the heels of the of the hero's journey after the warrior, in the way that I've conceived it. So so the interaction is is at the level of the archetypes, although that can be very invisible to us for the most part. People are walking without awareness but expressing through it regardless. And one thing that I've noticed is that people who have done a lot of work on themselves, a lot of introspection, a lot of being honest with themselves, they will express more clearly through the archetypes. Same with an artist who's very developed in their work, who's taken a lot of time to explore their expression. They will also express clearly through the archetypes. And one more thing that I notice is that at some point, when when that world is very known and brought to consciousness more than it's unconscious, then those lines begin to blur and there's a lot of freedom between the archetypes. So you're not so locked into them and, and as if um, obligated to express through their exact places. So... That gets off a little bit into the the esoteric. Your your um observation about naming is very good because without being able to name something, we have a limited ability to contemplate it. Right. It might be in your awareness, it might be fleeting, certain things might remind you of it, but until you can name it, you know, and 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 also it's like it's a little bit like scripture. So you've taken a great deal of data and code and information and it almost almost um infinite amount of data and variation and then and then or not not variation just the data the code and then you've narrowed it down to one name right so when I talk about the rebel archetype it's this huge dynamic of of behavior and feelings and and ways of believing but I can just say one word rebel and for everybody that studied that energy then we all know what each other is meaning so we can have that uh cut to the chase kind of conversation about it
0: Well, the whole naming thing, it just occurred to me as you were speaking, where do we first see that? It's in Genesis, right? Um, Human beings are given the power to name things. One of the first thing that goes on and where does that lead? Uh, Just a simple name. Well, you can't really have an archetype that you can talk about or I guess you could recognize it personally. You couldn't really speak of it or tap into it until it has that name and then think of the dark side. We were going to talk about pmas which we're not but even that is maybe a spiritual basis for what we're getting at because in the public realm is where all the coercion exists right but in the private realm it's where we say i'm responsible for self and this is different than commerce and all these other things that go on in some weird way but the marketing As the flip side, from my point of view, would be the dark side of the use of the naming archetype. In other words, I couldn't market you when what is marketing, by the way, it's to get you to do a thing you wouldn't have done otherwise, basically. So is that coercion? Probably not quite, but it's not far away. The point is, is if I want to get you to do a thing, that thing has to have a name. And in the CNN episode, we showed, it just occurred to me one day, oh my God, that's truth down the well. They're retelling The Greek myth, truth down the well—they're tapping into that subconscious archetype, and it worked. And for that matter, Beth—I know I'm throwing a lot of ideas on the table at once. I've often considered that: what if the Greek and Roman myths are 100% aspects of nature and the archetypes? Is that a map to almost every? You know, look how extensive it is. Um, There's family trees for crying out loud, and almost any situation that could happen to a living man or a living woman. And I know I'm jumping all over the place, but when you got into the names, it really gets you thinking. And to me, immediately, what comes up is the idea of private versus public, and those are spiritual ideas to me at this point.
1: Yeah, I'll follow that last thread. And um, first, first of all, I want to just say about marketing quickly that uh, to me, to me, what matters is your motive. Where are you coming from? Right? If you're say in the business world, the hardcore business world, which is is the public side then your primary motive has to be money because if you don't create a profit then you're not considered a business you know say in canada you can you can only lose money for 2 years as a business before they dis, they disqualify you as a business and the ability to write off your income against against um your expenses Because you're not considered a business if you don't make a profit. Whereas in the private, in the private membership association, you are, you are explicitly not for profit. But, but when it comes to marketing and messaging and getting out there, to me, it really, it really makes a difference. Why are you doing it? It can actually be of more harm not to market because you are. Uh, not a, you're not allowing whatever gift God has given you to come forward and be of benefit to others. So to me, there's a sin in that as well. But I totally get it that you know marketing has been a, a, a brutal weapon against us and, and a hijacking of consciousness. Absolutely. Uh, definitely want to dive in with the archetypes of the public and the private. This has been my big discovery over the last two years, uh, I guess two and a half years since the whole world went kerflooey. And uh, and these two archetypes have been of, of immense study to me. I never I never saw them as archetypes, but I was able to find some parallels. Uh, I want to shout out to my colleague Jacqueline Milne, by the way, who I did a lot of this work with in in discussions with her. She came to the same patterns that I discovered through archetypes and the hero's journey. She came to it through the Bible. And we were able to identify a lot of of parallels, like all parallels between those two works. It doesn't matter where you look, you're going to find those patterns. And one of the archetypes that I work with that is not explicitly on the hero's journey, in fact, it's at every stage of the hero's journey, one of the primal archetypes that I call it one of five. And that is the masculine and feminine archetype, which actually are one, they're not two, they sound like... Two, but they're, they're perfectly one. They cannot, in fact, one cannot exist without the other. And so as I began to study the private domain, which was conceptually completely new to me, like I never even would think of it. You could, I couldn't have invented an idea about the private domain. It had to be something that was introduced to me. Why? Because we, I, it's like a fish in water. The private domain, it's kind of, you're already in it. And you haven't named it, so you don't have a way to distinguish it. Like we were talking before, the, the public domain has effectively eaten everything. And, you know, the nature of the private is the, 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 it has access to the original life force that it, it can access life as it's coming directly through God. Whereas the public can only gain the life through the private. And so, it's the same, you might have heard me even say it with the programming, like the programming has no life without us. So, you could you could look at that outer programming as, as more of the, the public side of things, more of the masculine side of things compared to the feminine. And so, by studying the nature of, of these two archetypes, you're able to see so clearly, for example, how they operate at every level. If you look out in nature, you have the predator and the prey. And God created this perfect balance between the predator and the prey. So much so that if you come and you take the predators out, the prey become predator on the land, right? That archetype is hardwired. They are going to fulfill that side of, of the, the, the one It, what is actually truly only one archetype, but that it's very useful to break them out and see them as separate in order to work with them and make clear decisions about them. And the same thing, if you take the prey out and you let the, the predator, um, take over, then, you know, and and in fact, that's what happens is, is they take all of the prey out and then there's no food and they will starve and die. So this balance in nature is, is intended. It's the same with the masculine feminine. If you are, um, very, Overtly, and this is a huge topic of itself. But if you are overtly, if you if you're suppressing your masculine energy, then you're going to suffer it. You're going to have uh, expressions that are, and we see gender, dys, you know, dysphoria, if you can call it that, or just confusion or madness, and and w- very much weaponization with these two elements. Not surprising, because there's a lot of power between them, <clears throat> and that's that's. Um, you know, if you're looking at, the, at them as two poles, it's like it's like a you know nor, a, a north node and a and a, a south node on a magnet. They're not really separate; they're operating together. The energy moves freely between them, and there's what we would call tension. And so, if I go back to the public domain, that it has become a kind of enemy to us. It has eaten all of the functions that the private domain used to take care of. And you know, regulating food and health and education and all of these areas and the family, right? And and uh, areas that people used to, like you said, crow be responsible for themselves, individually, as a family, as a community, as as memberships and associations that would naturally form to create hospitals and food systems and housing systems you know when my my uh, great grandparents landed in canada for example they were lied to that uh, they were coming to a homestead well homestead in ukrainian meant home whereas uh the the lie that they were told really it was just unbroken piece of land and in the first nights my great grandmother covers her children with her own body because there's no shelter and every year the the Um, the group of of people that arrived together would build another home and eventually they created a whole village for themselves. So this is how the private domain uh, naturally, organically can uh, take care of itself to support life. Now, having the public domain in balance, right, we need that. And it would be a big mistake to try to kill the public domain to, to, there's so many people are like, you know, to defund the police and, and we shouldn't have any government and the whole, you know, I might make um, a few enemies with my anarchy friends, but, or anarchist friends, but I, I think some government is good because personally I don't know how to run the infrastructure of my city or my country. I don't know anything about running water and running electricity and maybe internet (laughs) would be nice to have in our future and many things that already have have these systems that we can access and we can interact with, and it's just that it is so grossly out of balance that now uh, I was using an, an example of how much they've encroached on the private domain when I I drove to New York early on in the pandemic, literally blew the border. And uh, went to meet with a a bunch of uh, our friends actually. Andrew Kaufman was there, and James True, and uh, Benjamin Balderson. I got to meet him, and, and Christy, and all the dogs. So when I was coming back into Canada, they quarantined me, and and they were asking me ridiculously. Personal questions and trying to keep me separate from my son who doesn't live with me. They were, they were trying to, they was about to tell me that I couldn't see my son. And, and then he got the fireballs from my eyes and, and withheld that exact thing because it, it would be, it would be so over the top. Then I get a call from, from, um, the public health officials and she starts asking me a bunch of questions, including where do you take your garbage out? And I said, I mean, what are you talking about? It's, it's outside. And she goes, Oh, you can't take your garbage out for two weeks until you're finished quarantining. And I just said to her, you know what? That's stupid. And she stopped for a minute. She said, yeah, you're right. And went on. But it, it was one of those moments just to reveal how much they are coming into the household. Like when you, when, for example, a uh, policeman come to your door, They know they cannot enter your home without your permission because it's the private domain. Now, if you don't know it and they are blowing all of the boundaries, then they might very well come in your home and tell you what to do and where to take the garbage out and where you're, you know, who, who you should see and not see inside your home. But it is a tragic injury to this archetype right that that is kind of like the bunny and the and and the prey it it is vulnerable we're we're very vulnerable in our own home we we relax we be ourselves we wear whatever we want you could be wearing nothing <laughs> could just come out of the shower or something and uh and so this is how god to me designed everything so that we have the benefit of both of these beautiful sides when you look at say the comparison of the feminine to the private and that that ability to to receive and be open, right? When the when the luminaries shine on us and 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 we receive that and and we take it in and our bodies create nutrients and and the vitamin D that we need and we're all we have to do is receive. All you have to do is is place yourself in front of those elements and and uh, and and the gift of it is right there. So it works perfectly with that masculine side of things that is. Is going to be more of that, um, you know, active force and the and the 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 uh, instigating force that that charges things. I, I know the anode and the cathode. I can't speak super deep to that, but again, the same parallels in in that world. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but maybe I'll I'll let you go from there.
0: I'm actually taking notes as you go, so you can go as long as you want, and I'll come back. Uh, you made a fantastic part. Uh, point a little while ago about marketing and i'm so with you intent is everything in this world and mine proceeds all so what is in your intent out the gate so i quickly went over to old miriam webster and i asked her what is marketing well she tells me it's a noun but the top return is the actor process of selling or purchasing in a market the secondary return is the process or technique of promoting selling or and distributing a product or service you get a trend here this is all about commerce the last one or the second major return an aggregate of function involving moving goods from producer to consumer so your point is well taken intent is everything but when we look at what do these words mean anymore it's all about commerce and this fits so hand in glove with everything you've said. Consider maybe the Garden of Eden, right? What What's the difference between the idea of living in the Garden of Eden and not? Well, in our world, it's pretty much goods and services, isn't it? So we had everything we need. It was given freely. And then we were thrown out of that situation following the story of the Garden of Eden. And that leads, after a really long time, I would estimate, to commerce. But then corporation comes into it. And this is the antithesis. Like you're saying, it's almost like the public has tried to envelop everything and push the private out, which is like you say, it's like having a North and a South pole, but one of them got to go. Well, it doesn't work that way. Everything has polarity and what's happening is unsustainable. So these corpse as I like to call them, the speaking dead, they acquire <laughs> the rights of a so-called person, which is another fictitious idea in order to work around the truth that is the spiritual reality. That's, I mean, am I wrong here? The whole idea is to create ideas, archetypes like a person because they can't come after the living man or living woman directly. That's why everything is an offer. But in the public, you're going to be required to do so many things. And now that sphere, it's really going for everything, isn't it? And at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say here is the idea of public and private is the ultimate spiritual conundrum in our time, I would estimate.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, beautifully said. Exactly. And uh, I'd, I'd like to pick up on the thread of uh, of commerce and uh, what is what is the nature of commerce and that exchange. And I love your how you point out the the Garden of Eden. Right, we had it all, and and it's not that this I've come to see it. It's not that God took it away from us is and in punishment. Perfect. It was that we turned away from God. We turned away from the natural abundance. We, we maybe, um, you know, I'm just thinking this for the first time right now, but in terms of that turning away from the feminine side, that would just simply receive what's given in abundance.
0: Let me interrupt you for two seconds. Just that, that was, that was spot on. So when I go outside and I'm going getting ready to go do my meditation for the day, every day, I look up to the sun and I say, thank you for keeping us from the darkness. I further say, thanks for everything you give us so freely. So, there's your point. The Garden of Eden is still here. That sun will give us the heat every day. Now, there's jokers out there trying to block it, but that is your point, right? It's all still here. It's just that now we're doing other things
1: exactly. And we are working so hard and uh, and tilling the land. So I think you guys are are in tune with regenerative agriculture from from what I've been hearing. And, uh, we went from, you know, that, that, that God just throws a seed on the ground and it grows, right? We got these beautiful cantaloupes one year because somebody was eating one outside and it fell on the ground, right? It just absolutely did nothing. And, and then we turned to this tilling of the land and turning over the land and murdering the earth actually in the process. And then very much limiting the abundance and, and especially when you compare the amount of work that goes into something compared to what you get out of it it discouraged most people from, from taking on their own growing of their own vegetables and foods. And it makes it seem like that natural abundance in, isn't there because you end up with very you know depleted soil and therefore unhealthy plants. And then the bugs come to clean up the garbage mess of the unhealthy plants. They're, they're just the cleanup crew. They're not the enemy. They're, they're part of God's design and and yeah, that natural abundance that is there, if you do just the slightest amount, this is what I notice about the private domain, that when you invest a little bit of time and energy into it, it grows exponentially. It, it mushrooms out, literally. The comparison to growing is is perfect. All you do, you make a little hole in the ground and you put a little seed in there and you cover it up and then you water it so it doesn't dry out in its germination period. And you basically, if you, if you cover your, your garden and make sure that it, uh, doesn't lose moisture and it doesn't hold excess moisture, then it practically the garden grows itself, right? You'll have to put work into it on, on the front end, but then all of life Just organically, naturally takes over for everything, right? And then, and then you come to harvest time, which we've, we've just been in. And I had a, not a big garden, but a a new garden. I rescued a piece of land and I can barely manage the abundance, right? And that's, uh, that's one thing that I, I really learned about that. uh, And this was from Paul Gauchy, if you're not familiar with him from the uh, Back to Eden film, which I could introduce you guys. He's, he's a really amazing, amazing man. And he says that God will give you a certain amount of abundance, and and see how you manage it, right? Do you go into overwhelm? Do you freak out, uh, or or do you grow up and assume responsibility, and you know manage and distribute or whatever needs to be done with the resource, and and then can give you more in the process. And you know where commerce came in, and we were born into captivity. We live in a slave world that. My, my son sees the writing on the wall. If he doesn't at some point uh, come up with his own means to be financially abundant, then he will not survive it With without his parents. He will literally die or the, the state will take over his care, which is like dying as far as I'm concerned. And so we've come into this life that we had to pay to live. Now, I knew from a very young age from my first memories that this was absolutely wrong that was the rebel in me standing up and saying no this is not natural this makes no sense but because it you know has come slowly over time and through wars and through de- you know completely compromising people such as my ancestors that were in the Bolshevik revolution had to flee for their lives to Canada then we are in this matrix of of exchange which in and of itself, it's not wrong, and I love. I love that we're in agreement about about motive and intention. Where are you coming from? What's your What's your inner goal? Is it some kind of fear or some kind of love? And so, to me, exchange and even even at the level of commerce, where I've been operating until I discovered the the private domain until recently, it can be done with love. It can be done with with uh, awareness, with fairness, with the sense of actually giving more than you receive so that you're always in that uh, flow of of giving that, that naturally creates a receiving. Again, you're back to the archetypes of the public and the private and the masculine and the feminine. And so exchange is natural even when our uh, currencies fall apart. That could be any second. All the currencies die over time. And so, we will still require some means for giving and receiving. And to me, that backs up to sacred purpose and that uniqueness that you were talking about. We all came wired for something in particular. And uh, some people are very well aware of what their wiring is. Archetypes are a beautiful way to discover that if you're not there yet. if if When you hear the word purpose, you just go into confusion and, and not understanding or not having any clue. Then you can use the this this um thread of uniqueness the purpose the way that you were created as the the way to interact and and be in society and and contribute to not all of humanity but to your humanity to your people the one the ones with whom are your actual uh family now family is a beautiful thing that is a, a huge concept in the private this backs up to the bible and the household and how, uh, there's, there's one passage that Jacqueline quotes about when Jesus was giving ministration. He was, he was ministering and then his mom and his brother and his sister came. And so somebody said, Jesus, your, your mother and your brother and your sister have come for you. And then Jesus, uh, put his hand, I, I, I picture he put his hand on his finger on his face and he said, hmm, who is my family? Who is my mother? Who is my brother? Who is my sister? But those that do the will of my father, that is my family. And so that's the same thing that happens in the the private domain. And then the nature of exchange and commerce can start to become something that happens. We've got this theme of of uh, buy local, and and there's a lot of truth in that. Support your local community. Do business with people who are related to you. Exchange with people who you care about. Uh, supporting and and that they care about supporting you, so that it's not on that extreme side of the public where it's absolutely nameless, faceless. Buying something on Amazon, you don't know who the seller is, you don't know who's going to benefit. It's just this beast that eats everything. And I'm not going to uh, say that I'm invulnerable to Amazon. I do I do resort to a few uh, things just to make them easy for myself. But for the most part, uh, I have not set foot in in a grocery store. I think three times this entire summer why because i have a garden i have a farm that i uh, work at for free every every single week of the summer and i receive some food but never in accordance cuz you know I'm, I'm just one person and my son and uh, so never it's a never this so called fair exchange but i know that by investing my time and energy into that, that it is a beautiful thing that grows life for everybody. I just know nothing good or nothing but good can come from me getting my hands in the soil and, and helping. And then so I have a food group and, and between all these gardens, I don't have to go hunting for this generic food, even though I eat organic and I'm very careful with choosing the na- the, the quality of my food and meats and everything. Now I'm entirely tapped into a to a local network. I can literally get everything that I need through people that I already am related to. And so then the nature of commerce and exchange take on a very different nature and the ability to yourself to see, you know, what is your sacred purpose? What are you meant to do? Why do Why do the three of you do this job in exchange for being supported in in your life and your work? Because it's your calling. Right. Why does Rose stay up all night long making transcripts for people? Right. When someone could say, Oh, well, she should get some rest, <laughs> but she's called that this is a truth of hers, that it satisfies her soul's calling, that desire that you can't let go of. And then it feeds back to you and it's very natural and it grows and it expands. And it is of benefit to much more than just the two parties involved. It, it, Becomes of benefit to your people and and your tribe, which is by the way, you cannot have purpose without your people. This is what I discovered on what I thought was my deathbed when I went through a near death experience. I literally surrendered. I'd been fighting for a year and a half. I'd uh, by that point been through horrendous treatments of all kinds. I was left for dead. I could no longer even sit up basic functions i couldn't do for myself anymore my hands didn't work i couldn't uh, soothe myself to sing anymore and i decided okay if this is my time i'm not going to call for help i'm going to stop fighting i'm going to surrender to this death that i i felt calling me and when i gave over to to death and i allowed myself to sink into that i discovered What I thought was death was an illusion. It wasn't there. And I saw how I could lose my body, but I would still be there. I could see how I had lost all of my possessions, all of my worldly things. I had to sell my house to pay for medical treatments and I gave everything away, including my animals, because I couldn't care for anything anymore. But there I was having gone into what I considered to be death. And I discovered that I wasn't going to be able to get out of my sacred purpose by dying. I didn't even know I was trying to do that. But I could see at that point how that was happening. And while I didn't know anything about my sacred purpose, at that moment I downloaded all the code. Kind of like when a mother gives birth and you download the code of how to raise your child. comes from the unseen, invisible realm. And I saw that I could not, I could not have purpose without my people, that they're intimately tied. You can't sit in your living room, right? If you guys did episodes, all these, this amazing work and brought so much value to the, to, um, uh, recording, but you never got it to the people, right? That would be considered purposeless, even though all of that creative energy went into it and you did the work and put the time in and learned. But without connecting with your people, there's no purpose. And so this is what I discovered in the, the nature of my own life. I was able to come back into life. I knew, uh, first of all, that experience of having seen what I saw in that moment, it brought me to life. I went into remission at that time. I saw my life force begin to raise up, even though I wasn't out of the woods, I was still heading for a second diagnosis, but I got into remission. I asked my doctors to confirm it with a, a scan. They said, yes, you are officially in remission.
0: Okay, Beth, I, I hate to interrupt you right there, but we're at the top of the hour. So we're gonna, I'm going to rudely interrupt you while you're talking about remission. When we come in on the other side, I'd like to pick it up right there. Can you quickly tell folks again where they can get a hold of you? And uh, we'll also lay that down in the second hour. We'll pick up at the remission when we come in an hour or two.
1: Okay, fantastic. Yeah, so if you visit my website, it's www.freewillministry.live or .dot live if you like to say live. It's the same as BethMartins.com. Uh, by the way, there are archetype quizzes there. One that's a little bit more masculine on, or a lot more masculine on the King Hero journey side, and. Um, Then on the feminine side, there's the merpreneurs, a little bit of a throwback from my mermaid days. Both quizzes read where you are on the path of purpose. Where are you on the hero's journey? So that you can get an idea. It's not just who you are, but where you are and what is ahead of you, what is behind you, and how to navigate so you can get ahead of the curve. And so you can also apply to be a member of the House of Free Will. I do all of my work. I coach people to help them decode and deprogram what is standing in their way of fulfilling their sacred purpose, doing their work. And I also coach people in business to help them. We haven't talked about it at length yet, but I help them to be able to extricate themselves from the corporate world or not just the corporate world, but maybe from a job that they have to go and you know harm themselves and get a jab or do something unspeakable outside of their values in order to uh, make a living. I teach them how to turn their purpose into a service, whether that's in the realm of business that they would like to operate in the public or in the private as a, a private member association. And in partnership with Jacqueline Milne, we're helping people. That's her thing. She's helping people to create private membership associations. Uh, you can also come and study the law. There's a law guild. There's a number of workshops we've already hosted in the short time the ministry has been doing work. For example, we um, Big Sib did a, a workshop. Brett Fountain did a workshop on bar grievances. Amanda Ridding has, who is our Canadian, one of our Canadian champions in law, has done two workshops on how to deal with tickets and one on contract law. And if you're not familiar, by the way. A private membership association to do any work with me, you must be a member. You can't just walk off the street and do one of my courses or or book me as a coach or uh, come into the coaching or law guild without being a member.
0: Because you're in the private realm, you should point out, because she is in the private realm.
1: That's it, exactly. So it's all based on private agreement where we're, you know, a four-page agreement that's, it's not heavy, it's very clear and, and easy to read, but it's, it's extremely clear that you are, assuming responsibility for yourself, that you will agree never to handle a grievance uh, by suing myself or a member uh, to to work through tribunals and and just be able to handle our own affairs and, and act like adults, as you guys often talk about. And so I need to know who you are, the application. It's not super, super personal, but if you share personal information with me in response to the questions, that helps me get to know you quickly to see do our values align are we you know similarly minded and hearted are we trying for the same things and and does would it mean that you are a good fit to come into my household my living room my private space where i am truly being myself and sharing all of my gifts so that application, you're most welcome to apply. If I get a lot of application uh, applicants from this interview that we're doing, please forgive me if it takes a little bit of time. I do have somebody helping me to, but I need to read every single word of every single application for this to be bona fide. And uh, so, I would welcome you to apply regardless. You can do the archetype quiz if you want to just get to know me a little bit first, and also the King Hero's Journey podcast if you haven't uh, taken part in that. There are currently 218 episodes in the uh, two and a half years since the pandemic that's of mostly interviews and some personal rants and reflections and a few garden streams as well. And that's a good way to get to know me to see, would you want to come into my living room and be part of the work that I'm doing?
0: All right. We've got to wrap there, Beth. We're super close to the top of the hour. Thank you so much for hour one. We're going to come back, prep up for hour two. I'm going to add something with regard to the comments she made about planting seed. I'll pull it from the Bible. I'll pull it from the devil's pulpit, and then we'll pick up on remission. The second hour is available to everybody at pro 7 radiocom C-R-R-O-W, seven seven radiocom And I wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.